0: released episode. I'm not even going to send this off to audio engineer Matt. I'm just going to record it immediately. I'm going to slap the music on the top and the bottom. I'm going to do a quick mix down and I'm going to get this out because I am exercised today. Uh, I will first start by reading from the news that broke yesterday at about nine in the morning. Headline, Jonah Hill to play Jerry Garcia in Martin Scorsese directed Grateful Dead Pick for Apple. I'll read you a few of the details. Apple has found its next Martin Scorsese project. Its subject is a band the Oscar winner knows well. Sources tell Deadline Scorsese's on board to direct and produce a new untitled biopic on The Grateful Dead with Jonah Hill on board to play the group's frontman, Jerry Garcia. It will be written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karajewski, who wrote American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. They're writing the script with Rick Yorn, Joining Hill, and Scorsese as producers. The Grateful Dead's Bob Weir, Phil Lesh, Mickey Hart, and Bill Kreutzmann, the surviving members, will executive produce, along with their late bandmates' daughter, Trixie Garcia, Eric Eisner, and Bernie Hill. Insiders add that the band and the group's management participate in the film. Apple has rights to use the group's musical catalog. And what's unknown is what era of the band will be covered. The story of the group goes back to its formation in the Bay Area amid the rise of the psychedelic counterculture of the 60s. They continue to record albums and tour with deadheads following them all throughout the years over the country. The good times came to an end when Garcia died in 1995, though surviving members have carried on in various incarnations. That's again all from the Deadline article of yesterday morning. Scorsese obviously has tremendous rock credentials, in addition to The Last Waltz. Producer on the Long Strange Trip documentary, he produced two Bob Dylan documentaries. Uh, he's worked with Jonah Hill on Wolf of Wall Street, uh, for which Hill was nominated for a Best Supporting As- Actor Oscar. The Deadline article says the two have been looking for something to work on together ever since. And the opportunity to play a rock legend like Garcia was too good for Hill to pass up. Okay. So that's the news. Now, I pride myself on being both a, uh, a person who has access to his immediate reaction and then access to a more informed and settled reaction. In this case, it's complicated because regular listeners of the pod may know. I am a lifelong deadhead. I got into the music in probably 1984 or 85. I was introduced by uh, my friend Chuck and rapidly found that the Grateful Dead had a lot of things that I'm interested in in terms of anything that I get interested in, which is that there's a large culture. There's a large language. There's a musical language. There are rituals. There are... uh, There's a history. There's a rich tapestry of, of things to know about and to understand in order to truly get the most out of the music. There's the music itself, which at its best is really, you know, represents certainly the Jerry Garcia, Robert Hunter songs in particular represent an invaluable and ongoing contribution to the American songbook. So it's something I've been interested in, you know, some uh, 35 years of my life. Uh, I continue to be heavily interested in the current iteration called Dead and Company, which is fronted by John Mayer and includes uh, three of the four living members of the original group in a touring entity. They are playing probably the best iteration of this music that anybody in my generation has ever seen. So I've read all the books about demand, I've seen all the documentaries. It's, it's something I know a tremendous amount about, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, both on the one hand that I probably am going to have pretty formed opinions about who should play Jerry if indeed anyone is going to, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but on the other hand, you could also more positively look at that and say, well, maybe this guy knows a little bit about what he's talking about. Now, you know, far be it from me to tell any actor that, he or she or they shouldn't have a role. I'm sure Jonah Hill has the skills to pull something off that can be believable, but we'll get into that as we jump into my reaction to this news and why I wanted to do this somewhat comical emergency broadcast release, because I will be honest and tell you that my very first reaction was no, no, that's not a fit. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing, there's nothing against Jonah Hill. Uh, there's plenty of roles out there for him. So I don't want this to come off like I'm you know, trying to, trying to uh, shit on an opportunity that someone has. Because as we know, it's a very difficult life to pursue as an actor. Most actors are not lucky enough to be able to pick and choose what they want to do. And so I don't feel bad in this case because, you know, Jonah Hill is a producer. He's a writer. He's a director. He's been nominated for an Academy Award. He's an actor. He's broken through. He can do what he wants to do. He can develop his own projects and does. He's fine. He's got plenty of work. Love him in Moneyball, one of my favorite movies. He's great in that. So, you know, I enjoy his work from time to time. He I, he wouldn't be someone I'd categorize as a as a favorite. But, you know, he's fine, okay? It it's just that immediate gut reaction when you're thinking about someone playing someone not that I know, but that I think I understand the essence of the person that he's going to portray. Now, one of the important things is we don't know what era of the band and of Jerry's life we are going to get. I will say that Jonah Hill is 37 years old. So to me, that would imply that he could probably plausibly go back. Can he go back to 17? No, don't think so. You know, that would be really in the very beginning parts of Jerry's musical life when he's meeting some of the other members of the band, 17, 18, 19. Could he go back to 27? Yes, he could do that. So that would take us to maybe a little bit, you know, four, five, six years into the dead's uh, lifetime as a band. Maybe a little bit out of the 60s and kind of maybe getting in more of to the 70s, which you know, Hollywood loves the 70s, so I could see that. Also, 70s era Jerry is probably the cooler looking Jerry. 60s Jerry is kind of, uh, he's got kind of brillo pad hair and uh, doesn't have the beard. He's a little bit more heavy set. He's wearing more stereotypically 60s clothes. The coolest looking Jerry is definitely 70s Jerry. So. Again, we don't know what era they're going to get into. I think that's going to be an important part of this. But we can presume with Jonah Hill being 37, he could go back to 27 and he could go up uh, to 47 or 50 with with the help of makeup. Uh, Jerry was, I think, 53 when he died. So it, it's possible that, you know, he's going to he's going to that we're going to be centered in a specific era. But again, we don't know. So, but I don't think there's, I don't think that really is going to influence my, my decision here one way or another. We'll get into later a little bit why I'm not convinced that he's a great choice for this. And I have some other suggestions. But first, let's also talk about when, when bands cooperate with fictionalized versions of their stories. Is this ever good? I mean, look at Bohemian Rhapsody, which is probably the most recent and the biggest box office example, right? It's undeniably a monster hit. It has the total participation, some would say control, of the surviving band members of Queen. And I think, to my taste, you know, knowing about the story of Queen and knowing about the story of Freddie Mercury, I think this movie actually avoids most all of the actually interesting things about Freddie Mercury and Queen in their story. And, and it, It does that because the band members are involved. I mean, it's understandable. You know, do you want your children really seeing some of the more unseemly things that go on in the rock business in the 70s and in the 80s? Yet, you know, if you really wanna tell the story, I think you have to get into some things that a movie like that skirts around for its own artistic reasons. It also conflates things for dramatic effect, which when you're dealing with real people and real events, that just bothers me. You know, maybe that's just me. I think at the end of that movie, you know, they kind of conflate the absolutely amazing live A performance that Freddie Mercury gave and the band gave. And for dramatic effect, they sort of, I think they position it that's like, oh, Freddie just found out before he walked on stage, you know, his AIDS diagnosis. But yet he went out and did that anyway, which is not true. Like, it doesn't fit the timeline if you look at the actual facts. So that performance is amazing all on its own. It doesn't need any other additional freight put on it. Like you can go onto YouTube right now and watch Freddie Mercury and Queen at Live Aid and be blown away by how amazing it is. And the film did a great job recreating it, almost note for note. But sanitized band participatory, you know, fictional series I just don't think I can ever think of one that's really, really worked. The best, the closest, would be probably Scorsese-filmed documentary projects that really get at the truth through skirting around it or being on the fringe even as it's setting it up. I mean, something like The Last Waltz probably tells us as much about a certain era of 70s rock music and certain times changing and the difficulties that people were having than a straight ahead biopic or doc could. So I am already concerned when I think of something like Billy Crudup playing guitar in Almost Famous. It's just, it's not believable, okay? So, you know, you have a fictional band in a movie like that, maybe it's okay for an actor to fictionally pretend to play guitar. But I don't know how you're gonna deal with or do this in in whatever this becomes. Presumably they just have to stay away from the music altogether in order to believably present something on screen, because I don't know how you would stage this music with actors and to have that not be a jarring, slamming, off-putting moment. I don't know how you would do that. So maybe they stay, maybe they're gonna stay away from performance. Uh, But then again, you have the question of if you're going to tell the story of Jerry Garcia and you're going to tell the story of the Grateful Dead, how are you going to do that without listening or showing the music in a certain way? So maybe there are creative solutions for that, that Marty has up his sleeve. I don't know. Now, Scorsese, again, he did two of probably the best rock docs in uh, the one I mentioned before, Last Waltz with the band. And I think also his first Dylan biography, "No Direction Home," is one of the best. Certainly the best Dylan biography there is. Uh, and it's it's a great one, and it it tackles a similarly untackleable, thorny subject, Someone as deep and multitudinous, if that's a word, as Garcia in Bob Dylan, perhaps even more so. But you know, Dylan and Garcia, very closely linked throughout their musical lives and history. Very great sense of musical respect between the two. The Dead and Jerry always performed Dylan's songs as part of their concert repertoire. And I know that the Mutual Admiration Society is long and deep between both of those. And it goes both ways. So, but then let's look at Scorsese's most recent effort. uh, The Rolling Thunder Review documentary, quote unquote, film from 2019 This featured restored performance footage from the famous Dylan Rolling Thunder Review concert tour. But then it also included these bizarre, fake new interviews with people who weren't actually a part of it, like Sharon Stone, pretending that they were a part of it. And it's a mess. It's just a mess. It doesn't work. That part of it doesn't work. To quote Marty, quote, once we had Rolling Thunder constructed... Editor Dave Tedeschi and I looked at it and I said, it's conventional, says Scorsese. It's just a film about a group of people who go on the road and they sing some songs. I'm going to have to start all over. We have to go with the music, maybe go with the spirit of the commedia dell'arte. And then the words started to come in about possibly people who weren't there being there. He laughs. That's interesting. That's a challenge, as they say. Let's pursue that. So (laughs) I would argue, Marty, yeah, it's just a film about a group of people who go on the road and they sing some songs. It's Bob Dylan's fucking Rolling Thunder review. It's probably one of the most famous concert tours of all time. And it's Bob Dylan and you have the footage that you can restore and bring to life and the incredible music. That is enough. What is Sharon Stone adding to that? So that's a bad decision. That's what I'm concerned about here. So Jerry's life. Okay. If this is Jerry centric, I'm not sure if it's band centric, we're not sure. Jerry's life story is the stuff of great fiction. It's, it's normal, but it's epic, it's sweeping, it's historical. You know, this is a person that was personally present for every meaningful, meaningful event of what we think of when we think of the 60s. As I mentioned, he wrote songs which are going to be a part of the American songbook for all time. He was absolutely a musical genius. He was a walking contradiction. He had darkness. He had addiction through which these rainbow colors of light and sound and harmony still managed to break through. Uh, He was known to everyone, and yet unknown in some ways to maybe even those closest to him. He actually rejected this godlike status put upon him by the deadheads. And yet he also benefited from it. Now, how many people, flawed though they might be, don't enjoy and don't embrace being worshipped. Most of us don't have that experience, so we don't even know. But trust me when I say, you know, when you read about people who appear on stage in front of, you know, 20,000, 25,000, 100,000 people, whatever you want to have it be, it's a very singular and unique experience. And when you have an experience where music like The Grateful Dead is at the center, where you have a collective knowledge in an arena of what's taking place in real time, So now they're playing this song. Oh, that means this. That means we are doing this type of a show, right? That means that I'm about to hear an improvisational section in which Jerry usually takes flight. Uh, There are all these multitude of things going on in any given Grateful Dead song, in any given Grateful Dead concert. And what's unique about it is everybody in the arena is both having a shared experience and an individual experience, from the band members to every single person in the audience, and they can't do it without each other. So there's a collective improvisational performance taking place, and both parties are a part of this. So it's impossible to sum anyone up. It's impossible to sum Jerry up, Uh, but there's many, many, many good books on Jerry and on the dead, if you're interested, I'll list a few of them here that I just happened to take down from my shelf this morning, as I did a brief prep for this. Uh, Garcia and American Life by Blair Jackson is a, is a, is a great book written by someone who covered the dead for 25 or 30 years. Dark Star and Oral Biography is by Robert Greenfield. That's the one I'm partial to because it's an oral history, and I've decided I'm really partial to oral histories and biographies because I like that I can do my own work deciphering between the lines, you know, from the voices that you hear of in books like that. So you have a bunch of people interviewed and you can kind of get to see who's grinding what acts for what reason. You can see who is wearing the rose-colored sunglasses and only sees the good in everybody. You can see all that kind of stuff. And I, I prefer to see that for myself, I think, in a history or a biography rather than have a narrative composed for me by an author by and large. So Dark Star and Ourobiography accomplishes that. Jerry on Jerry, the unpublished interviews, is a great place to hear from the man himself. Jerry was an amazing talker. This is another part of this. You know, there's a lot of footage of Jerry, of course. There's a lot of footage of him talking. He's an extremely engaged interviewee. Whatever arena you want to look at, go, go look at his, his uh, appearances on Letterman. He's giving and taking as good as he's getting. But he also did many far-ranging, soul-searching interviews. Uh, he's an engaged subject. He had a lot to say. He was an autodidact. He knew a lot of things that he educated himself about. And he was had a free-ranging conversational style, perhaps chemically fueled at times, which was of its time. And so he has a lot to say about a lot of things. So Many Roads, The Life and Times of the Grateful Dead. A Long Strange Trip is a book written by dead insider Dennis McNally. That's, that's kind of the official version of the story. So it's interesting for that if you read it juxtaposed with some of these other books that are not so from inside the organization itself. So anyway, there's a whole shelf of dead books and materials. Uh, the Am- Amazon docuseries uh, that was directed by Amir Bar-Lev from a few years ago, is a a great place for the dead curious to start because it's really watchable. It's very historical. It puts it in the context of the times, tells the whole story. There's not much new there for an expert, but it's a great introduction to the band and the music. So I highly recommend that. Anyway, I could go on that. So all, all that considered, right? All for my lifetime of seeing Jerry Garcia play in concert, you know, as I did however many times I did in the 80s and the 90s. How many times was it? I don't really know. I would say it's probably somewhere between 12 and 20, as best I can gather, uh, from reading all the books, watching all the movies. That's why I say, both as a gut reaction and an informed choice, Jonah Hill's not a good choice, okay? It's just, if anything, this is probably one of those projects where it might have been best to pick an unknown, uh, because only then are we perhaps even given the chance to kind of settle into a character or someone who's not just doing an impersonation that kind of becomes the purpose for watching them. So I think it's tricky to set out to do this anyway. And I think while the subject of the band kind of setting them in their times is probably an interesting one, fictionalizing it, I just don't know what the plans are gonna be, so it's gonna be hard to say. So, okay, Jonah Hill. So why don't I like Jonah Hill for this? Well, first of all, let's take a little bit about Jerry's background. Just first of all, like, you know, again, anyone can look like anyone. Anyone can be made to look like anyone. I don't believe actors have to come from the same ethnic background as a real life person that they're portraying. I'm all for anyone playing anyone, uh, including, you know, racial breakdowns, crossing those lines, like whatever, man, I'm good with anything like you know, I'm not hung up on this person having to look like Jerry Garcia. But again, when you're going to do a story where there's a lot of visual iconography of an era, I think it's going to be very hard to do this without someone who physically resembles Jerry Garcia or can be made to physically resemble Jerry Garcia. Now, so Jerry Garcia was from San Francisco. His father was either from Spain or his his father's parents were from Spain, but he's Spanish on his father's side, and his mother was, I believe, Irish and Swedish, and he was born in a district of San Francisco in 1942, which was a heavily Italian-Irish neighborhood at the time. Uh, His father's name was Jose Ramon Garcia, and his mother's name was Ruth Marie Garcia. She was also born in San Francisco. So... You do have this Spanish lineage part of Jerry that I think is visibly manifest in the way he looks, which again, you can accomplish through hair and makeup, I'm aware. Jonah Hill, you know, is he a counterculture type? Like Jerry is so counterculture, Jerry is so other that I'm not sure that someone who's born in 1983 in, you know, Beverly Hills uh, to a costume designer and uh, uh, an accountant for the music business who went to private schools you know does he is he going to have that counterculture bent that's going to sort of that subversive nature you know that's going to be kind of intrinsic to the the pranksterish you know character of a Jerry Garcia I don't see that but if I had to just jot down some things about sort of Jerry's personality and then jot down some things about Jonah Hill's personality here's what I'd come up with Jerry quick-witted funny perceptive present Engaged, batting the ball back and forth, playful, totally self-educated, open to new ideas, seeking connection. Jonah Hill, interior, tortured, neurotic, limited worldview, limited experience, a nebbish, reads very contemporary, not a timeless old soul. Funny? I guess the popular wisdom is he's funny. Like, he's, he's a comedic actor, I guess. Uh, I I do find him funny in Moneyball, as I said. You know, I'm not a big fan of the other types of comedies that he's been in, so I can't really comment on that. But yeah, I guess he's a comic actor, so let's just give him the humor, okay? I'm I'm not gonna split hairs here. Like, sure, okay. But again, it just, if we're gonna cast someone known, if we're gonna do that, I would like to at least run through a list of some people that I think could do this, And some of these are completely weird and off the charts, as I said. I'll start with someone you may not know. There's a comedian named Felipe Esparza. He's very funny. He kind of can look like Jerry. He's got the long hair. He's had a beard. He's probably a little too old. He's 45. Uh, Jonah Hill, as I said, was 37. But Felipe Esparza, I feel, has a certain kind of renegade spirit that could work here. I don't know what kind of dramatic actor he is. So that's a bit out of left field. But let's talk about some A-list actors, or at least people who have A-list acting ability. Shia LaBeouf could do this. And I know he's a pariah in Hollywood at the moment. Unlikely to be cast in a high-profile project at this point in his career. He's still wrestling with and sorting out whatever battle he's doing with his personal demons and the fallout from previous battles with those demons. So he's probably not a realistic choice, but Shia LaBeouf is kind of an outsider, does have a renegade spirit, he's a phenomenal actor. He has that kind of uh, California feel, but that, that San Francisco, Oakland feel as opposed to that LA feel, uh, even though I think he grew up around Los Angeles, but Shia LaBeouf could do this, but Shia LaBeouf could probably do many things, any things in acting. Uh, But he's an interesting choice. What about Joaquin Phoenix? He's 47. Might be a little old. He believably inhabited Johnny Cash. Probably wouldn't want to go back and try and tackle something like this. He's a little, perhaps, too interior, a little too dark. But I often think he's very funny and doesn't get to use that side of his acting ability very much. He could probably do it. Okay, this next one I wrote down is kind of admittedly firmly on the impish side of Jerry's personality. (laughs) And I think with a wig and a beard, he could do it. I don't know that he would be able to disappear in the role. But what about Paul Rudd, currently sexiest man alive, as Jerry Garcia of the 70s? Could you see that? I think he could do it. Okay, these next three are admittedly a little weird and probably all kind of on the nebbishy side, even though that was one of the strikes I put against Jonah Hill. Andrew Garfield. I don't know why. I saw a picture of Andrew Garfield when I was thinking about this yesterday. And I, you could put him in the long hair and the beard. And he has, the, he has a certain intellectual um, and accessibility thing that somehow to me reads about a certain part of Jerry without overthinking it. Uh, there's something there. I don't know what it is. He doesn't physically resemble him in any way. But there's something there I could see working. Similarly, in a weird way, I could see someone like Jesse Eisenberg also. Again, if we're going on the young side of Jerry, like if we're going to do 19 to 26-year-old Jerry, Jesse Eisenberg could kind of get to some of that. He, again, has that kind of manic intelligence. I think both of those actors strike me with a certain type of manic intelligence that when you listen to Jerry talk, you know, it's very rolling, man, and like, wow. But, you know, it's deep, and it's got a lot going on in it. This next guy is totally, usually extremely dark in interior, but when I looked at his face in a black and white photo, I thought I could see this resemblance, and he does have a put-upon, world-weary quality if we're gonna do, like, maybe later Jerry. But Paul Dano could be interesting, too. That's, again, admittedly completely bizarre and weird choices. Here's some other weird throwaway choices I'm gonna say. Adam Driver. Adam Driver is a weird choice for this, but he could do this. Because he's funny, he's musical, he um he's he's magnetic without being traditionally handsome. So I think Jerry is a person who in a room of people, you're going to gravitate towards his energy because he exudes this this energy. I think Adam Driver exudes that similar type of energy without being you know, just a conventionally amazing-looking person. And he has the ability to disappear into character and period time. And I think he could definitely do this. And if they were saying Adam Driver's playing Jerry Garcia, what would my reaction have been? It would probably have been very different, I would think. Well, I definitely want to see that, and I feel like it would be in great hands, even though it might still be weird. A friend of mine on Facebook, Jason, suggested Christian Bale. (laughs) Again, I think he's probably a little too old, but he is one of those actors who could do anything and disappear into anything. I don't think he's funny per se, but that's an interesting choice. What about Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords? He could play convincingly 70s Jerry. He's got the look. He's got the musicality. He'd have to lose the accent. Not sure about his dramatic acting chops. Keanu. Why do I want to see Keanu do this, even though I know he's completely and totally wrong for it? I don't know. Friend of the Pod, Fraser Rice, made an interesting suggestion, which is, to me, kind of akin to the Adam Driver concept, which is Javier Bardem. That's a very interesting choice, too. Javier Bardem uh, has the magnetism. He could plug into the Spanish roots of Jerry's father. He could probably do it, but he's probably a bit on the old side because he's 52. Not that that's old. I mean, I'm 52. But it might be old for where they're centering the character, and I think he's probably just a little too old to put into a wig and glasses and a beard and have be 60s or early 70s Jerry. That probably would look a little weathered on him. But as an actor, he could absolutely find and embody some of the things we're talking about. Now, a couple of people mentioned some obvious choices. Jack Black gets mentioned anytime anything musical occurs. That's an interesting choice probably a little too manic, a little too antic. That's not the energy I think of when I think of Jerry. But I think there's a part for Jack Black somewhere in this, if they do it right. But kind of the thinking man's Jack Black is an interesting choice. Zach Galifianakis to me, could absolutely do this. He has the right sort of subversive prankster spirit. He has the sweetness and the bite. He could be a very interesting choice. But It's funny with Zach, there's often like this undercurrent, and I don't know if this is like manufactured by him for comedic purposes. Perhaps it is. But there's kind of like an undercurrent of sadness with him sometimes, like a melancholy that I feel. And I think that makes him a much more compelling choice for someone like Grateful Dead keyboardist Keith Godshow or Brent Midland. These were two of the dead's doomed but brilliant keyboard players both of whom succumbed to drug problems and could not kind of maintain life in the fast lane as lived on Grateful Dead tours in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But Zach would be a really compelling uh, Brent Midland, particularly. He's musical. He has that right spirit. Is he a Jerry? I don't know. He could be. He could be. That's someone to keep your eye on. This is a really weird choice for early Jerry, and I don't know why I think this, but Jason Schwartzman could do early Jerry, he could do Hate ashbury like, 1962-64 Jerry. He has the right kind of intellect and kind of look, but he's probably maybe someone who would better be cast as, like, uh, a Mickey Hart or a Bill Kreutzman in that early kind of era. Someone else I'll mention, just because I think he's uh, really interesting and doesn't get enough kind of credit. And I, Someone I always find interesting is uh, Alden Ehrenreich. If you remember him, he was... Famously or infamously, The Young Hand Solo in Solo, A Star Wars Story, which, you know, was not a great movie, uh, but he definitely looked the part. I really enjoyed him most of all in the Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar, which is kind of underrated Coen's movie. And he's great in that. So engaging. He can sing. He's apparently really funny. He was discovered by Steven Spielberg. He doesn't really get a chance to be super funny all the time. He is funny in the Hail Caesar film. He's just a good actor, and he's not well-known enough that I think it would be off-putting to put him in something like this, and he's malleable enough where I think he could perhaps disappear into a role like Jerry without without it being, quote, Jonah Hill is playing Jerry Garcia, which is going to be a freight that this is going to carry regardless. So those are some choices. Now, however, my personal choice for what this is worth, which is probably about nothing, I think... The obvious choice, the necessary choice, is Michael Chernus. Okay, you've heard Michael Chernus on the podcast a couple times. He is a phenomenal actor. He's done stage. He's done screen. He's done television. Uh, You probably know him from Orange is the New Black. I love him in Captain Phillips, where he's the first mate of Tom Hanks. Uh, he plays Edward Tavner on the Amazon series Patriot. Uh, he was on Raimi. Hilarious cameo on Raimi as uh, essentially white guy at Mosque, but brilliant, brilliant, hilarious, spot-on characterization. He's been in Men in Black 3, Spider-Man. He, he's done everything, okay? He's got the chops. He, he absolutely has the acting chops. He's also, I happen to know, a hardcore And impressive deadhead. So by that I mean he's not just a fan of the band or the music, uh, because it can and often does go much, much deeper than that. But I know that this person is into the music on a cellular level. But he's also really good at presenting sort of a normal facade to the rest of the world. You know, he, he can be a great entry point for the uninitiated into the music of the dead, because he's smart enough to kind of gently, slowly ease you along and kind of get the novice up to speed and not do what I would do, which is scare them away by jumping right into the differences between, you know, 1973 Dead, where Billy's the only drummer because Mickey took a leave from the band after his father ripped off the band's money, and, say, 1987 Dead, where, yeah, sure, the Dead are, like, hugely popular because of this weird resurgent, you know, Uh, frat boy popularity that like ruined the concert scene for a number of years in the early 90s. But we also have Jerry in kind of a slow decline and the shows were really spotty and they don't really stand up. So he's not going to do that. I'm going to do that. He's not going to do that. He is a musician. He had a band. He plays instruments. He can sing. He's funny. He's intellectual without being pretentious. He's got an incredibly quick mind. He's improvisational. Uh, This to me is the perfect choice to play Jerry Garcia in Martin Scorsese's Apple, whatever it's gonna become. It has to be Michael Chernus, okay? He can do this. It would be in great hands. There's actually a um, change.org petition that you can, <laughs> that you can sign. Just, Google, just go to change.org and Google Michael Chernus and you'll find it. Sign it, you know? Uh, you never know. We could make this happen, people. This would be good for Michael Chernus. It would be good for The Grateful Dead. It would be good for Martin Scorsese. And, you know, we can find another role for Jonah Hill, okay? Like, Jonah can slide into, I don't know, Pigpen maybe, you know, Um, another sort of doomed early dead uh, musician. But Chernus, to me, is where this has to end. Michael Chernus can embody the 60s ethos. He can have a 70s look. Uh, He can do all the different nuances. And I guess more than that, he can kind of like understand all the things that are and were Jerry. He can put them all into his giant acting blender and he can figure out how somehow to distill all of that into a performance that can resonate on screen and kind of hit the notes that the man's life needs to hit without necessarily just impersonating him. And I think that's what we really would want and desire. Again, if we even want and desire this, which I don't like, I don't want and desire this as a dramatic series. I just don't see how you can do this well. I don't see where it's been done well. So I remain completely (laughs) on the sideline to watch this unfold, even as a deadhead, you know, you'd think I'd be sort of like, Hey, great. You know, we're going to have this representation in popular culture that everyone's going to pay attention to, but it just seems like there's way more things that could go wrong than could go right. And if you want it, the best possible chance to go, right? Let's get behind Michael Chernus as Jerry Garcia, because that's the best chance we have for this thing to go, right? So that's it for today's emergency broadcast of the full cast and crew podcast. I will be releasing this right now. I'm not going to mix it. As I said, I'm just going to slap it together and put it out there. So I apologize for any auditory uh, problems that you might encounter. And we'll be back next week with a epic episode about Star Trek, all things Star Trek. But for this week, thanks again for listening and for all your support for the pod. What a long, strange trip it's been.